Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. being big-headed, aren't we? Um, you know, we started off thinking that the Earth is the centre of the universe and then, you know, that we're the most important species on the planet and blah, blah, blah. And we still seem to think, or many people seem to think, we created the internet and the World Wide Web for our own benefit and we're still in control of it because we made it. And it's just not true. It's an evolving system out there in cyberspace, in the cloud, which is getting ever and ever further away from human so in 30 years' time, I think there will be artificial intelligences out there, probably distributed across m- millions of different you know, chips here and there, um, which they already are to some extent, but will be far more. And that they will be capable of asking different questions, as, as you put it, and coming to different answers, and probably capable of um, laughing at, can they laugh? I don't know, at our primitive um, 2018 ideas <laughs> about the nature of consciousness. What is the self? And does science adequately explain the mystery of human consciousness? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to explore those questions with British psychologist, writer and teacher, Susan Blackmore, whose latest book, Consciousness, A Very Short Introduction, has just been published by Oxford University Press, where Susan argues... The truth is that consciousness is an attribution we make. We call some of our thoughts, perceptions and actions conscious and others unconscious. But this distinction is based only on them being accessible when we ask about them. Susan goes on to state, Consciousness is at one the most obvious and the most difficult thing we can investigate. So what is consciousness? What does it do and why have so many philosophers and scientists struggled with it as a concept through the centuries? Hello, my name's Sue Blackmore. I'm a visiting professor in psychology at the University of Plymouth in in Devon in England. I've had a very strange career because I began a long time ago having an out-of-the-body experience that convinced me of all kinds of paranormal phenomena. So I became a parapsychologist for some years until I discovered, as far as I can tell, there are no paranormal phenomena That kind of launched me into bigger questions, great mysteries of life. Um, What is consciousness is the main question. And that's why I'm going to be talking about one of my books that came out last year, which is a very short introduction to consciousness. Quite hard to compress everything. (laughs) I also wrote another book last year that came out um, called Seeing Myself, The New Science of -of Out-of-Body Experiences. Because I really felt after all these weird things I've gone off into, oh, and memes as well. I wrote a book called The Meme Machine, the cultural evolution and how the memes use our brains rather than us using them. So I've had a a weird route through all of this stuff. But now at last in my 60s, I'm kind of beginning to just enjoy it. Wow, what a great introduction uh, to a writing life and parapsychology brings up so many interesting questions and we might touch on some of them later if you don't mind. Really well done anyway on the book, Susan, and uh, it was a very curious read. As I was progressing through, I kept, there were so many questions I kept asking myself and so many things that I couldn't figure out and I think it's, given the nature of the topic um, consciousness, it's not a it's not a kind of, you know, you'll always be searching and asking and wondering. It's not a closed topic, if you will. On that point, I might throw you a big wide open question. Is consciousness an illusion, do you think? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I do. But you see, what do we mean by an illusion? People think when I say consciousness is an illusion, they think I'm just denying it. I'm just being a behaviorist and saying there's no such thing. Well, you know, I'm sitting here feeling the, 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 the texture of my desk and, 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 the, and the feeling of the phone. And I'm looking at trees and clouds going past outside. You know, this is experience. The real big mystery is how does a brain that's just neurons and chemicals and electrical uh, currents and so on, what's that got to do with this extraordinary experience? Now, I think it's an illusion in the sense that we, we naturally fall into the wrong way of thinking about it. We think about consciousness as some kind of special extra thing that we've got and perhaps our computers don't have or other animals don't have or something. And, and it must be this kind of special power. I think all that's wrong. And part of my job I see in that book and in a lot of my work is kind of trying to dismantle the illusions we have about ourselves and our minds. How would you define it, though? Because if I, as you say, if I, you say consciousness to one person, they'll have an idea that it's this. Um, they may bring in some kind of moral um, um, ideas around it, into it. And, um, you know, it's sometimes, it can be very hard to define, really. Ah, not just hard, I would say impossible, at least at the moment. I mean, it's, it's very, very strange. There are all these books written about it. I've written quite a lot of books about consciousness myself. And we in the field of consciousness studies have no agreed definition. And I'm referring there to psychologists, philosophers and neuroscientists, all of whom work on the mystery of consciousness. You know, how, how does our experience happen? How does the brain do it? Um, and yet we don't have a definition. The closest that we get to any kind of agreement is to base the idea on an old paper that came out in 1974 by a philosopher, Thomas Nagel. And he asked this famous question, what is it like to be a bat? Now, he chose a bat because bats are so very different from humans. You know, they use um, echolocation rather than vision and so on. Um, And yet we can kind of try to imagine what it's like to be a bat. But does that really tell us what it's like to be a bat? (laughs) That leads you into all kinds of difficult philosophical problems. But what has lasted from that paper is the idea that if there is something it's like to be the bat, something for the bat, the bat is having experiences, if you like, that is what we mean by being conscious. And if we think there's nothing it's like to be a bat, that's what we mean by not being conscious. So if I pick up this cup of coffee that I've got in front of me, is there anything it's like to be a cup of coffee? I think everybody, almost everybody would say no. Is there something it's like to be uh, that bird out there that I can see flying in the sky? Well, probably, but we don't really know. And we don't even know how to find out. But at least we can agree that subjective experience, what it's like to be me now, is the problem we're trying to understand. And I suppose a lot of people would confuse consciousness with perception, speaking of the bird in the sky there. Well, yes, but perception is only a part of it, if you like, because if you think about about your mind and your experiences, I mean, when you're dreaming, for example, or, or just when you shut your eyes and think about what you've got to do tomorrow, that's not perception, that's, that's thinking, that's, that's imagining. So there's a lot more to our experience than perception. Also, when we think about perception, we know an awful lot about how it works. You know, for example, we know that the quarter or so of the... Um, the, the, the brain's um, cerebral cortex is devoted to vision, processing information that comes in from the eyes. And that's a huge amount of brain power. And we know that different areas of that are doing different jobs, 
some concentrating on lines and edges, some on recognition of objects, some bits on color, and all this information is swirling around in the visual system. We can understand a lot about how we see, you know, the branches of that tree and what shape they are. But, 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 but if I look at the blue sky, if the blueness of blue is the problem. You know, we can understand. In fact, I would say this, the, the problem of consciousness gets worse the more we understand perception. Because we, we know very clearly now which bits of the visual system have to be firing, you know, neurons firing um, impulses along them um, for us to say, I'm looking at blue. And yet we have this experience, this kind of ineffable quality of what it's like for me to be seeing blue. And we also know that your visual system is probably a bit different from mine, certainly a bit different from mine. Um, so that what's blue to you will be different from what's blue to me. Well, it will in the brain just very slightly but inexperience, and I can't ever experience your blue, and you can't ever experience mine. Ah, you see, it's such a difficult question. But this is why I think it's an illusion. I think the way I'm talking is the kind of natural way we get into the problem. We think about you looking at blue, and then me looking at blue, and we can't kind of equate them, and we don't know how to understand it. I think we've that's because we're making a lot of mistakes from the beginning and we've got the wrong idea about it. Somehow we have to understand, we have to bridge what's called the explanatory gap between neurons firing in the brain and my experience of a fluffy white cloud going across a blue sky. If it doesn't sound too simplistic, what about decision making? Do we need consciousness in order to make a decision? Or do we need oh, to be, you know, like if we look at like, I'm sure on any given, you know, given time of the day, I'm more aware than others, you know what I mean? So I'm just wondering how that all is in relationship. That's a brilliant question, in fact, um, because in a way something similar applies in the sense that uh, neuroscientists are now finding out a lot about how and where decisions are made. So parts of the prefrontal cortex um, are areas that are involved in decision making. We can look, they can, I mean, I can't, but people with the right machinery and brain scanners and so on can watch people making decisions and see the information flowing around different, different parts of the brain. Now, how does that relate to my feeling that I made the decision? And that is a really difficult question, but it looks as though decision making is a very complex parallel process going on all, you know, in all sorts of different bits of the brain that cause me to, for example, say, yes, I would love to do this interview with you, or no, I'm sorry that, that I'm busy that day, or I think I'll go and get a cup of tea, or whatever decisions I might make, uh, I will or won't marry this person, or you know, whatever level of decisions, I think consciousness doesn't... It, we have a feeling that we require consciousness to make difficult decisions. But actually, it's the brain doing all this stuff. And I would say that it's after the fact we go, oh, I did that consciously. If we've thought about it a lot and paid it a lot of attention, we'll tell ourselves that we did it consciously. If it just kind of happens and we weren't really thinking about it, then we'll say, oh, it wasn't conscious. But that doesn't really mean anything, in my opinion. That's just the way we kind of schematize our own, our own thoughts and make out that we have this power of consciousness that makes decisions when it's not true. How do you understand feelings of pain and broadly pain management then? Because I would imagine that all understandings of pain is a route way into how we understand consciousness, is it? Yes, you're right. Well, it, it's, it's one of many ways, but it's a very particularly good one. Uh, you know, that's interesting that you picked that because, of course, 
there are, you know, I'm not denying that there's a problem here. I'm not denying all these experiences. And pain is one of those ones that the hardest to um, deny. Often in lectures and, you know, when I used to be teaching students, um, and sometimes even now in, in public lectures, I'll tell people to slap them their face really hard or pinch themselves as hard as they can or something like that and cause a bit of a pain. I mean, you could do it now. I'm going to do it. Wow. Um, I can still feel a sort of tingling. I can't deny that. What is it? Well, we know where the information goes from the skin, and it goes in, in two different kinds of neurons, fast ones that, that give information about where I've slapped myself, and slower ones that lead to the pain, which comes a little bit later. We can see all that happening. But, but, but what is the experience? And it's no good inventing a, I don't know, a spirit or a soul or a kind of, you know, a ghost in the machine, which, which has the feelings. This is what Descartes did, the, the philosopher um, in the 16th century. Um, he, in the 17th century, he, um, he, he couldn't solve the problem of this explanatory gap, this mind-body problem, the problem of what seems to be a gulf between feelings and thoughts and emotions and the goings-on in the body. And he posited two completely different things. Uh, mind and, and body, if you like. Um, he called it thinking stuff and extended stuff. And Cartesian dualism like that just doesn't work. But the, if, the, if they're two different kinds of stuff, how would they interact? And we can't find out how they interact. So he couldn't solve the problem, and we're still kind of stuck with that same problem. And you're quite right to pinpoint pain, because for all the goings-on that we can see in the pain system in the body and the brain, um, what does it mean to but it hurts and it hurts me. I think a lot of this has to do with the construction of the idea of a self and that it's hurting me that is the problem. But even so, I stood on my cat's tail the other day. I really didn't mean to. <laughs> and she went, wow, you know. Um, now, was that cat feeling pain? I think so. I can't prove it. But I don't think the cat has a sense of self or any language. But surely it's horrible and the cat wants not have its tail stood on. <laughs> you see, I'm not really answering your questions because it is so hard. And that, in a way, is the point of my very short introduction to consciousness. Yeah, and then when we go into the kind of very woolly areas and then look at, you know, you bring in, throw in religion or you throw in the proof factor, it all becomes so complex. Although on that point, um, in your introductions, you, you, you bring up uh, Susan 